Please stand with me and turn to Exodus 18, uh, verses 13 through 27. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from, from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone, and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What are you doing? What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. May the Lord bless the teaching of his word. Please be seated. Before we begin the message, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to study your word. Please use it in such a way that it bears fruit. Fruit in keeping with repentance, fruit in keeping with righteousness, fruit in, in keeping with bringing glory to your name, imaging your son, Jesus Christ. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, this, this morning's message is titled, Only a Just Kingdom shall stand. And that is an overarching theme for this particular portion of chapter 18 that we'll study. But what I'd like to pose to you as we have that concept of a just kingdom in our minds, um, let me ask you, have you ever been a part of a really solid church? And as as someone who, you know, this isn't uh, dialectic, you can't actually answer back. But I wish I could see the little bubbles above your head as you're, whatever it is you're processing, that makes it, makes it so that you have this understanding of, yeah, I, I remember this setting. I remember this particular church, and it, it did this or that. And I don't want to sway you by giving you any, any examples of my own. But let me now turn that question around. Have you ever been a part of a church 
was not so solid? And what were the aspects, the components, the attitudes, the culture, whatever that might have been, that makes you feel that way or made you feel that way and it made you realize that this isn't the right place for me. This, I, I, need, I need to seek another church. I'm unable to make a change or whatever it, it happens to be. Well, one of the things in referencing back to our title today and the significance of that is that we are going to look at justice. And justice is a foundational component of the kingdom of God. And therefore, it's a foundational component of the local church, God's manifestation of the kingdom of God here on earth. Before I get into it, we need a little bit of connecting back to where we were, because the last time I preached was a few weeks ago, probably a month ago now. And we need to figure out and understand, all right, what's the correlation with the first part of uh, uh, Genesis, excuse me, Exodus chapter 18, because we were in chapter, or, or excuse me, we were in verses 1 through 12 before. But before I get there, I want to explain something. There's kind of an unusual twist that's happening here. And the twist that we see is that God is using an outsider, someone who is not part of the covenant community of God, somebody who is the father, well, he actually is the father-in-law of Moses, but he's not an Israelite. He's a family member. But what he is, is he is, as we found out in the first 12 verses, that he is a believer in and of Yahweh as the one true living God. And we see God use this person that's not part of the covenant community of Moses to provide wise counsel to Moses. And one of the things I want to challenge us early on to consider and think about is that we have people that are not a part of this body of Christ that we love, that we know are godly people. They could be family members. They could be very close friends. And we need to be reminded that just as the text is, is going to continue to refer to this outsider, not as Jethro by his personal name, not as the priest of Midian as he was identified in verse 1, but it's going to continue to, to address them as the father-in-law of Moses. In other words, he's emphasizing a different angle on this man's identity as it relates to giving wise counsel. And that is that we need to be mindful that the people that we love and we know have a faith in God, are disciples of Jesus Christ, that oftentimes they can see things we can't see. They love us enough to sometimes speak into our lives. Sometimes we don't want to hear it. And we need to be mindful of that and, and listen carefully and assess it. Maybe they're wrong. Or maybe they're right because they have insight into who we are. They love us. They know us better than most because they're family or very close friends that we do life with. And so we need to be reminded of this truth as we look at this and God's use of this outsider who's actually a family insider. So let's take a look first of three self-evident kingdom principles. You can see on your outline there, uh, on uh, your, your uh, actually we're not there yet. We're, we're going to get to the outline. I want, this is, we're still laying the foundation. 
I moved it around a couple times and I've got it here before we've got actually anything on the, the bulletin. Three self-evident kingdom principles that I don't know that you have ever pondered before. You know the truth, but maybe you haven't heard it worded this way and where you go, oh wow, that's never gonna come about. I see these, these and now I understand the logic. I've, I've known them independently, but I've never kind of connected the three. The first one is this, only the just and righteous, king, righteous kingdom of God is and will ever be the eternal kingdom. The only eternal kingdom that we will ever know and have ever known is the eternal righteous kingdom of God. So that leaves us with, okay, what about other kingdoms? Well, how about the human realm, the kingdoms of the human realm? Well, we just got done seeing earlier in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6, it states this. Here's a kingdom that God has said, no, no, no. You are not only unrighteous, you are oppressors of my people. And listen what he does with this human realm, this human kingdom. Exodus 6, 6 says, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am Yahweh. In other words, the self-existent creator of all that is created. Therefore, I have power over all. I am Yahweh. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. There's our target nation that he's going to bring to their knees. And I will deliver you from the slavery to them. And I will redeem you with outstretched arm. And here, the key, and with great acts of judgment. And God brought the plagues upon Egypt with these ten great acts of judgment that brought the Egyptians to their knees. Their military power was decimated by the, in the crossing of the Red Sea. Pharaoh himself perished in the crossing of the Red Sea. They are no longer the military power they were. They may still be a nation, but they are a nation that is vulnerable now. God brings nations low. We can see today Egypt as a people. Do they reckon the same power as they once had? No, all, all earthly nations, kingdoms, if you will, fail in their righteousness ultimately, and God brings them low. How about the angelic realm? Those fallen angels that played the role of puppeteers. They were the gods that, the, that God brought the, the plagues against one by one, they were the, the power source behind uh, uh, Egypt's power, if you will, their might. They were the ones that the Egyptians worshipped, not the one true God. They worshipped these fallen angels, and that is what the fallen angels want. They, they, we know, from the, the Bible explicitly, explicitly tells us that Satan wanted to be worshipped as God. And we know that those under him, his minions, if you will, want to be worshipped as God. And yet we read just six chapters and six verses after Exodus 6.6. 6. We read this in Exodus 12.12. 12, For I will pass through the land of Egypt, this is Yahweh speaking, that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, small g, all the fallen angels that want to be worshipped, I will execute judgments. And then I love that he ends with this. I am Yahweh. I am the one who is supremely superior because I created all. 
They can do nothing to stop me. They are my created beings who are in rebellion, only that they are angelic beings. And we see the power of God even to demonstrate that no kingdom will stand. Only his eternal righteous kingdom will stand the test of time. Well, that leads us to the the third and final principle or axiom, you may say, and that is even local churches. Redeemer Reformed Baptist Church is a local church. It's what I like to refer to. I heard one author coin. It's a kingdom outpost. Uh, Every local church is a kingdom outpost of the invisible kingdom that has no borders. The kingdom of God goes throughout all the earth, and therefore each of its local churches is a, is a physical manifestation, a physical outpost of the invisible kingdom of God. Even local churches or, or kingdom outposts that fail to remain righteous and just will be removed by judgment upon God. They will not stand. They will not stand the test of time. And you think, but they're churches. But churches can go south. Churches can stop being just places. Just, uh, meaning that the, the places where justice is known and felt and a part of the culture. We look in the book of Revelation 2 and 3, chapters 2 and 3, to, for our our foundation of this understanding. We, and it's interesting in studying this. I don't know why I never caught this before, but the, one of the authors pointed out that both the first church out of the seven churches that are listed in chapters 2 and 3, the seven churches that, the, that God addresses, the first church of Ephesus and the last church of Laodicea are both given warnings that they will be removed. They will be, that their standing as a church will be taken from them Middle churches have different types of interactions with God, and he has different things to say about them. But the, on bookends, and Pete was talking about the concept of bookends. It's a, anytime you see something bookend, it's called an inclusio. One, from one end to the other, it's supposed to be an overarching warning, or in this case, an overarching warning. That means there's an overarching lesson that goes through everything in between the bookends. In this case, it's a warning. In the church in Ephesus, it had an external problem. And its external problem was it failed to continue in its first love, its love of, of reaching the community with the gospel, of sharing the gospel. He talks about some of their good, their good attributes, but they have stopped looking outside of themselves. So they have an external problem, and he says, unless you repent, I will come and take your lampstand from you. The idea is I will take my presence from you that is a scary place to be. And then you look at the, the church of Laodicea. This is an external problem. God in his wisdom shows, no, 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 this is an internal problem. This is a church that is failing with its justice, or if I might define justice as its moral righteousness within the culture of the church. And God doesn't say it. He doesn't say, hey, I'm going to come take your lampstand. No, he uses a little bit different um, analogy, a different picture, mental picture for us. He says, I will spit you out, for you are neither hot for me or cold with that refreshing understanding of the of water that we touch that is that is quenching our thirst that we can't get enough of. He says, "No, no, no! You look warm. You've gotten to a place where you don't look any different than the world 
and the inside. And he says, I'll spit you out. They will be a church no longer. We have to realize that there's an important message for us as a local body of Christ. We need to realize that we're never on cruise control, that we need to be conscientious of our need for righteousness, for even the temple of the Old Testament in Ezekiel. God tells us in Ezekiel chapter 10, after the, 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 the Hebrews, the Israelites have corrupted from, they look no different than the nations that are, we would say were so wicked. They are, they are worshiping other gods in the temple. That is God's own place to reside and demonstrate his presence amongst the people. And it says in Ezekiel 10 that the glory of the Lord, actually it says the glory of Yahweh departed from the temple. The idea is you can have walls, you can have all the ornate beauty that's, that's supposed to signify me, but if you do not have, if you have a corrupted society, society that is not exemplifying the righteousness, the justice, again, justice meaning the moral rightness of, a, of the kingdom of God, he does not just give you a wink. He does not give us a wink. He says, I will depart. And we need to be mindful of that. We need to hold deeply, dearly onto that concept. Pastor Pete and myself and, and, and Pastor Mark are, are the three older of the elders. We will be long gone, and it will be up to Pastor PJ and others that bring, come up to the church. And it's our prayer that we will hold to our conviction, that we will be a place where people will know justice, that people will come in and taste the righteousness of God because of how we interact with one another, how we love one another, how we demonstrate the kingdom of God. And so now as you take a look at your uh, bulletin, you can see in the, the takeaway there that the local church must exemplify God's justice, that is God's moral rightness, his proactive and reactive when we fall to injustices. Each of us is capable of sin, hello, every day. But when we do it, we're proactive, looking to, to be just. And when we are, in, are unjust, when we're demonstrating injustice, that we repent and we, be, and we restore ourselves back unto God and to each other. Well, in the first 12 uh, verses of this chapter, what we actually see here is Moses reuniting with his father-in-law, and they get together in a tent, and they talk about all that was going on with Moses. Jethro, is, his father-in-law, is anxious to hear. I know this God, he says, but I, I want, basically I want to hear about how this played out. We've heard from the other nations, but can it be that this God was this great, was this dynamic in his power that he crushed the superpower known on the face of the earth at that time? And so he listens to it, and listen to this in Exodus 18, 7 through 9, for, again from the first half of this chapter that we, I preached on a, a few weeks ago. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare. Key word here, it's shalom. It's the welfare or the well-being. How was there your well-being under the care of your mighty God? He was directly involved in their lives, bringing the plagues on their enemies. It continues on. 
Then Moses told his father-in-law all that Yahweh had done to, to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardships that had come upon them in the way. Think about the, when they were leaving, the hardships of they didn't have food, they didn't have water at times, and how Yahweh had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that Yahweh had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hands of Egypt. Okay, that's the first 12 verses of that, of that particular chapter, chapter 18. We see God's direct inter- intervention into the lives and his care to bring about shalom in the presence of the people. Now, the last verses, verses 13 to 27, God is laying out his design for his indirect activity, if you will, by way of a design that he creates so this people can, he just got done punishing the angelic realm for its unrighteousness, for its injustice, as well as the, the nation of Egypt. He's now going to set up this kingdom based on righteousness so that it is an everlasting kingdom. And we know it doesn't work because of, of the sinfulness of the human beings. It doesn't work until we have a Savior arrive. And we'll talk about that later. The God-man, Jesus Christ. But what we see in verses 13 to, eight, or to 27 is God setting up a system of justice. Not, not criminal justice, my background before being a pastor. Not, not the punishment. We're not talking about just, justice as punishment against evil. We're talking about setting up a culture, a society that demonstrates moral rightness proactively, and then when you get into something wrong and injustice, you address it and you get right again. That's the justice we're talking about. That's the culture. That's what it should be filled with. That's what this church should be. Someone who comes in here should be, feel, oh, this is a community that acts completely different than out there. Out there is dog eat dog. In fact, it's everyone's after you. It really is. In here, it's all about honoring God and living out his kingdom distinctly set apart. So, now looking at your bulletin, let's take a look at this, this problem. The problem is that the Israelites need a timely system of justice. That's what they're lacking, this timely component that will establish enduring shalom, which is a critical component of an enduring kingdom. You may not have realized it before, but you cannot have an, an enduring kingdom unless you have an enduring shalom. So let's take a look at this now. Exodus 18, 13 to 17. It says this. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood. He uses a a not-so-used word in the Hebrew for stood. And that's a a hint that, hey, look carefully. This isn't the common use. We're going to see the common use in a verse or two later. And we're going to find out that Moses by way of God's inspiration, is using this book ending. He's going to start with this idea of standing, and he's going to end with this idea of a standing. The problem right now is all the people are standing. And this word for stand gives the understanding of certainly posture. They're upright, but also standing as if you're going to, I stand in my position. In other words, with my point. They are standing to make their argument before Moses all day to say, Moses, this is my position on this argument. Who's right, me or my neighbor? 
So there's a duality of this understanding of what it looks like for the Israelites to be standing. And we're going to find out that this is not good as it relates to the length of time they're standing. And at the end here, we're going to see Moses standing. And it's now good that Moses is standing. We're going to see why that is. So we continue on. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. And otherwise, they are completely consuming the day. Moses is there sitting. They are standing. Nobody's getting anything done that needs to be done by the nation, the kingdom of Israel, except trying to figure out the disputes of this million-plus people through the bottleneck of one person who is mediating unto God. There's a problem. All the hours of the day are consumed in this one activity. I might say it this way as well, as give us an idea. There's no timely judgments being made. I can tell you this. As a Phoenix police officer or as a police officer, Pete can relate to this. Uh, uh, others in here, Stephen um, and his wife, Megan, who have been part of the, the law enforcement, can, can see that the system in America is the best system out there, but it is not a timely system. It's not even close to being a timely system. And in the waiting for justice to take place, at, at justice in the form of trying to deal with the injustices, we see a compounding in this country of injustices. We see the breaking of shalom to the point where we're a divided people. You're either on this side or you're on that side. You hate these people, you hate these people. You hear from these people, these people are evil and those people are evil. We are, we have, this country is lacking shalom in a major sort of way. And, it, and I'll be frank, it looks like the leadership kind of likes it that way. But let's move forward because that's not what we should be about, the people of God. We continue on. When Moses, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was, he was doing for the people, he said, what is this? And this is the neat thing about being able to understand the Hebrew because you can see little, little gems in there. And this is the little gem. This is what's called the grammatical marker. It, you're gonna, we're going to see this be used. It's, it, has, have you ever get, come, somebody walked up to something you're doing and then they go, what is this? What's going on here? Like they think you're in a mess and you're like, no, I'm just trying to do, you know, this and this and this. And they're like, man, it looks like chaos to me. You know, you, you know your left hand from your right hand. You know, do you even know what you're doing? You know, that's kind of the feel here. When, when Moses is, excuse me, when Jethro is saying this, when Moses' father-in-law is saying, what is this? That's what he's emphasizing. What is, <clears throat> excuse me, what is this that you are doing for the people? Well, it's good. We know it's good. But he sees something bad that Moses doesn't see about how he's going about doing this. Why do you sit alone and all the people stand? There's the common word for stand. That's the word we would have expected before, but it wasn't that word. It was a different Hebrew word. Why do, uh, excuse me. Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, I mean, listen to the, the innocence of this. Because the people come to me to inquire of God, when they have a dispute, they come to me and I, and I decide. In other words, I judge or pass judgment. That's what's happening here. He's acting in the capacity of a judge between one person and another person. Interesting, it's really not another in the Hebrew. It's one person and his neighbor. 
One of the things I think is important about that, because in this community here, Redeemer Reformed Baptist Church, oftentimes our neighbor, our biological family members, our closest neighbor, I sin against my wife more than any other person because I am in proximity closer to my wife geographically or at any given time of the day more than anyone else. And because I'm a sinner, I sin most against her. And so we need to remember that as as you're thinking through what is this culture of righteousness or justice looks like, think of the relationships that you have on a day-in and a day-out basis. I don't think there's a man in here that could say, well, it's not my wife. I only only sin against her a little bit. I'm thinking, well, then who are you hanging around with? Because the one you're closest to, the one you're hanging around with most, is the one you're going to be sinning against most. And so we are still a people that bring that conflict into this community, that, that we understand we have a need for this justice. We are desperate for justice and what that looks like. Let's continue on. When they, ha- when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide or pass judgment between one person and, and his neighbor, and, and I make them know. In other words, I make what, is, what God has said understandable. And then he identifies what that is that God gives him, the statues, another way of saying the decrees of God and his laws. And then in verse 17, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing, and I'm telling you in the Hebrew, this is major emphasized. How would you like your father-in-law walking up with you and telling you this, men or ladies, or if your mother-in-law, what you are doing is not good. That gets your attention. You, and it continues on in verse 18, you and your ESV says the people. In the Hebrew, it says this people. So what was implied from the beginning, when we started off in verse 13, this, this, is, this is not good. This, 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 excuse me, it's verse 14. That what he's doing is, is you know, what is this? And then, then his father-in-law says it's not good. And now we have this being used against you and this people. The this, in this case, is referring to my people, the people I love, the sheep of my pasture. It's not benefiting them. Moses, you mean well, but the manner, the way it's being handled is off. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. In the Hebrew, it's nabal, nabal. It's, it's withering, you will wither. Fading, you will fade. It's a conclusion, a foregone conclusion that God has given Moses' father-in-law the eyes to see and the mouth to speak it back as, his, as the one speaking for God. For this thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Let me restate the problem. What we see here is a system of justice that cannot be sustained in a timely manner, and therefore, it is not good. It cannot bring about shalom. Think if you're standing in that line day and night. I'm, I'm looking at Joel and Mallory back there because they have a little one, or, 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 or Brandon and Bethany with their little ones, and trying to, to wait out when it's your turn. And you've got all these other responsibilities. Think it would be a little frustrating you think it would, I mean, the, the, the breaking of the shalom will be compounded after you wait day and day after day. When's it going to be my turn? I'm only number 999,000 in line. 
There's a, there, everyone else is in front of me. I've got disputes because we are a new people who don't know the laws of God. Therefore, we don't know how to engage one another. How true of that is that, is that about the church? We have people of different levels of maturity in the church. They've, ha they've gone to churches that haven't taught, but they haven't been brought up in the, the admonition of the Lord. And so they don't know. And so there's patterns of behavior that you would expect there to be injustices because they're basing it on what their parents taught them or what the culture taught them or what they think is right. I've done some pretty dumb things based on what I thought was right. Well intended, but missed the mark completely, which is the definition of sin, missing the mark. So this is where we stand as far as a, they need a system of justice and not one that cannot sustain, be sustained, but one that can be sustained. So let's take a look at the answer and how that is, uh, comes about. And you can see that in your uh, handout. We, it says the first, part, the first portion there is we seek God's wisdom, noting the details of the case. Have, has anyone ever gotten to somebody who you know is wiser than you? You're hoping to get wise counsel. You're ready to give the version of what's going on in your, in your relationship with somebody else. And I don't know what to do and I want to honor God. And they stop you about halfway through and they give you the cookie cutter because they, oh, I've seen this one before. This is the same. Oh, it's always the same. Well, you just got to do this, this, and this. Hey, you haven't heard me yet. That's my first response. You don't even know my details. Listen to what I have to say. You know, don't make out, well, this person's the bad guy and this person's the good one or, or what have you. You haven't even heard. Listen to all of this. You have to know, when you seek wisdom, you have to know the particulars of the case. Listen to this, Exodus 18, 19. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice. Again, this is uh, uh, his father-in-law telling him. And God be with you. That's an interesting statement. That's basically saying what I'm giving you is in, is in accordance with God. I'm not giving you myself. I'm giving you what God has given me or what God affirms is what he is saying. You shall re represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. God is a God that knows the details and is in the details of the case. He loves and, and understands the particulars of what you are going through and the difficulties of your life. He doesn't, he doesn't stop you halfway through and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're kind of like Nick. Yeah, I'll handle this the same way I handle it with Nick. No, it doesn't work that way. God has the wisdom to carry us through to a resolution, to a reuniting, to a reconciliation, that we have justice in our, in our relationships. The Israelites needed to know what was right, what was wrong, and how to move forward. How true of that is, is that of us in our culture, in all of our relationships. They didn't yet have the luxury of the law, this big old fat Bible I'm holding up. They don't have all this yet. They're going to get it. They didn't know it becoming uh, what we could call, just wait two chapters. They didn't have that. It's coming. Shortly it will come to them as, as God will give it to them on Mount Sinai, but they don't have all the details yet. So they're going to Moses, but we do. We have this book. Okay, so this is the other side of the problem. Nick, you just held up that enormous sized book. How do I find my case in this book? This thing's enormous. Well, there's some, some, some things we need to consider as we seek wisdom. And these, and the, these things are 
I'm going to give you two, uh, three different things. Seek to know the particular details of the case. We already talked about that. Listen carefully. If you don't know your own details of your own case, i.e., you're coming to bring it to a pastor or somebody who is more godly, make sure you bear, come to bear with all the details, both sides of what's going on. But if you're the one that they're coming to, know the particulars. Even your children. It's easy to say, nah, I heard you, you, you did this to your brother, you did that to your sister, and stop. Listen to your children. Listen to them explain their situation. It might be a wonderful opportunity to share the gospel. But we need to know the, and seek to know the particulars of the, of the case. Second, seek to know the guiding principles in God's law. Not easy, not quick. And when I say not easy, it's because sometimes I've sat under preaching that doesn't, didn't explain the principles. It sounded like the Charlie Brown wah, wah, wah. And I've I'm, I'm walked out of sermons going, I don't understand what's going on. I, I missed the whole thing. Or oh, I've read difficult passages in the Bible without a study Bible. And I'm going, man, I missed it there. And I, and I really, I, if, if I would take the time to slow down in my devotional time, read the bottom section to what the, the editor is trying to explain, it can help me grow in my wisdom. You know, he's an editor. He's fallible. He can sin. He can be off. He can be wrong in his doctrine. But it was better than where I started from. I'm like going, oh, what's going on here? I don't get it. So we need to seek to know the guiding principles. Do you have a daily devotional? Will you seek that? Do you have friends that you can talk to about? Do you have somebody in your life that is more mature that you can engage them with and ask these questions? And then thirdly, seek to know the main track and the support rails of the guiding principles. And what I mean by that is, I had a professor explain to me, Look, if you're going to give wives counsel, you need to put it in a, and understand that the way God works, and it's kind of a helpful metaphor because, remember, one of the components that the, the Egyptians need, that we needed, excuse me, the Israelites needed, and what we need is a know the way forward. Well, what he did is he broke it down. In fact, I'm, I'm remembering the name of the gentleman. Stuart Scott is his name, um, a biblical counselor. He said this, give it to them in, in, in the mindset of a railroad tracks. You have some main tracks it's not always going to be two, but it'll be lesser main tracks that, that their, their case will run on. These are the biblical precepts, the main girding that this will run on for them to understand how to work their way through this system. And then you're going to give them the cross rails, those rails that support the main tracks. And that will help them help it in their minds to solidify in their minds. Okay, I want to make sure I, I keep the majors the majors and those that are supporting the lesser ones those need to come alongside with it. I don't want to overly make them the focus here. And it, it was helpful to me to know that. I've, I've been able to use that in, in, in counseling others and see the light bulb kind of go off in their, in their minds as far as that goes. That's how we seek wisdom today as Christians. Well, what about number two? Number, point number two is teach all the people God's laws. Look, listen to Exodus 18.20. It says this. And by the way, Moses was already desiring to do this. Moses just had the part, the component, that, where he shared responsibility. That's where he lacked. And you shall warn them about the, excuse me, and you shall warn them about the statutes, in other words, the decrees and the laws, in other words, the instructions, and make known to them by way of teaching them the way in which they must walk and, and uh, what they must do. In other words, that what's the content of the law? What does it say? 
And if you're anything like me, I need concrete. Okay, how do I do that in my life? Because if you just give me the law, sometimes I might go off in a different direction. I need a, a, tan, a tangible example to associate it with my life. And that's what we are supposed to do every week from the pulpit here. This, this teaching all the people God's law is the responsibility of the church, in particular the church officers, in particular the church office of the elders that does this each week from this pulpit. We are giving you the laws of God so that you can know and you can start to accumulate them in your mind and start to realize and start to have this wonderful inventory of this is what God expects of me. These are the tracks and the rails that support the track on keeping me on this, this path of righteousness. I understand justice because I know the laws. I know what God expects of me. I know what a righteous community looks like. And this, it happens by way of you coming to church. I will share this with you. We give you a bonus every week. It's called Sunday School. Come, enjoy Sunday School. You want a few more of the cross rails to put on your tracks or whatever it happens to be? Come, take part. You want to hurry up? I'm, I'm kind of one that it gets a little impatient. I want to know everything I can know as fast as I know it. The problem with me is I forget it as fast as I learn it. But one of the things that you can do is to expedite, expedite your wisdom is to come and partake as a people of God and listen to the questions. In Sunday school, we get to ask questions of, of Pastor Pete or, or PJ or, or Mark or myself. And listen to some of those questions because you might say, oh, I didn't have the courage to ask that one. That's a good one. I really wanted to know the answer to that one. We need to understand that it's a, it's a public thing that the church is supposed to do, and I hope that this church will always do it. The church has the authority and the responsibility to ensure the shalom, the well-being of its people, and it assures that well-being by teaching the people how to have shalom, by living out the laws and commands of God. I want to ask something practical here. What about in the family? Who is the authority who is the one responsible for bringing shalom to the family? Well, in a general sense, it's both parents. They are the ones that teach the laws of God to, the, to their children. No parent can regenerate the heart of their child. That's the work of God. But every parent is, is called, commanded by God to bring up the child in the admonition of the Lord, in the teachings of the Lord. And what God does with that. In, as far as bringing up a, a child in a home that has the culture of justice, of moral rightness in this, it's up to God to do what he does with the heart of the child in that. But that's our responsibility. But men, I'd like to get a hold of you for just a second. The buck has to stop with somebody. And God made it clear. We have the privilege of leading in our homes. Oh, but that privilege comes with enormous responsibility. Enormous Listen to this, Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, he didn't say fathers and mothers, he said fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. The, uh, one of the, the main components of that, inconsistency of justice. Fathers, are you keeping that just culture in your home? Are your children tyrant at sometimes because you're just too tired to deal with it and mom's exhausted because she's dealt with it all day long? And you're like, whatever, I just can't do it. I don't have the effort. I've got work on my mind. I've got this on my mind. I've been there. But that doesn't mean it makes it right. Men, 
It's up to us to set the standard of justice in our homes. We're the ones God holds accountable, and we need to remember that. We want a just home, a home that reflects God's moral rightness. Well, let's finish with this. Point number three, identify qualified men to judge. And that's what uh, Moses was tasked to do by Jethro, and it's what he does do. This is Exodus 18.21. Moreover, look for able. I like what the NIV calls that, capable. For me, it's a little more understanding when you say capable. Moreover, look for capable men from all the people, men who, and I might put an adjective in front of fear, rightly fear, not fear out of punishment, fear out of reverence, out of love, out of respect, out of desire to fall under the authority and the submission of my Lord and Savior, who I know is only good to me. Not be thinking of him in some manner that, oh, if I don't do this right, he's going to be all over me. It's the way I used to look at my parents, and it's the wrong way to look at parents. Our Heavenly Father is a perfect parent that only wants good of us. He continues on. Men who fear God, who are trustworthy, listen to that character, and, and, and hate a bride. So we have men of high moral character. And place such men over the people as chiefs, in other words, representatives of Yahweh. And he goes on to list all of the, the divisions in, 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 of them in the thousands and the hundreds and the fifties and the tens. And then in verse 22 it says, And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they bring to you, but any, uh, excuse me, every great matter they bring to you, meaning the, Jethro's telling them to bring it to Moses, but any small matter they can decide. In other words, judge your past judgment upon them uh, or for themselves. So it will be easier and you will have a, a lighter load, in other words, for you, and they will bear the burden with you. And then here's key, and we'll end with this. In verse 23, it says, If you do this, remember the grammatical marker? Not so good. If you've got justice bottlenecked at you, and there is no true, timely justice taking place, but if you do this, where you have delegated down, where you have got justice occurring in a timely manner because you have enough people dealing with the justice, if you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, it says in the ESV. And that's a good uh, translation or good interpretation. But if we use the same word that we used all the way at the beginning, you will be able to stand. Moses, it's necessary that he not sit all day and judge, that he stand and take on the many other roles that the leader of Israel has the book of Kings teaches us, as the king goes or the leader goes, so go the people. We see that over and over again. The corrupt kings lead to corrupt people. The kings that, that want to bring about righteousness, justice, we see a, a reformation occurring in the people's hearts and in their lives. And so the, the point is made there that it's Moses that needs to stand so that this nation will be a nation that promotes, that lives out this justice. Let me end with just a couple of explanations. In the big picture, the overarching, the nation of Israel needed men of godly character and authority. Why? Because they needed to establish timely justice in the nation. Why? Because this ensures that the nation is a set-apart nation that looks distinctly different for the, from the rest of the world. Why? Because the nation is supposed to be the light unto the rest of the nations. 
That's how God is going to get his message out, that we are a different people who honor a different king who brings about a righteousness not experienced out in the world. It is true of us. We need to be that distinctly different church. I love that. And PJ didn't know. I didn't know that PJ was going to explain at the beginning of this service our order of service and why we have it as such. Our order of service is, is intended to bring about an incredible reverence towards God. In fact, he ended his exposition on why we do the order of service the way we do by saying this is not about us. This is about our God. And that's what's so distinctly different from the rest of the world. That's what we need to convey to the people, and we need to convey it in our lives as we, the church, move out into the community. Listen to the love. I'm going to leave you with this verse. Listen to the the love of Christ as it relates to us, his church. This kingdom outpost, this local church, oftentimes we see this uh, uh, used to explain to the husband their need to love their wife in in this manner, and it's right to do so because that's what was actually happening, happening by Paul when he gives this passage. But I want to focus on just Christ's love for the church in this and not the husband aspect. Listen to this, Ephesians 5, 25 to 27. Husbands, love your wives. Excuse, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now let's listen how Christ loved the church. He gave himself up for her. What does that mean? It means he lived a perfect life of righteousness. You want to know perfect, righteous, just culture? Look at the life of Jesus Christ. He never sinned. He lived that perfect life, identifying he is the only one. There's no Muhammad. There's no any other good person, prophet, any false religion that can uh, hold a candle to Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the only one that lived a perfect life. End of story. That makes him the unblemished Lamb of God, worthy of being sacrificed, of dying for our sins because our sins we can't pay for because we are corrupted. We needed a perfect Savior, a perfect sacrifice, somebody who could stand in our place and pay the price we can't pay or we couldn't pay. That's what he did when he gave him up, himself up for her. And if you're a part of the church, you're a part of the her. Jesus is, the Bible tells us that Jesus is the bridegroom and his church is his bride. That's why Paul is making this, this correlation, this analogy. We continue on. That he might sanctify her. What is he doing in the sanctifying? He's setting her apart. Do you hear the nation? Do you hear church? This is us. We're supposed to be set apart, look distinctly different. Out there might be absolute disgusting injustice. In here, we might have an injustice, but it's an addressed injustice. It's an injustice that gets dealt with by the principles, by the, by the, by the commands of God, and we are restored unto God and unto each other. And he says, it continues on, that he might sanctify her. Having cleansed her, well, what is Jesus Christ going to use to cleanse the church? Oh, great question. Glad you asked. Having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the, with the, excuse me, of water with the word. It's the same thing. He's using the word of God to convict our hearts that we do uh, create or maybe generate or, or do injustices against other people. And then we're convicted of it. And we do that with that which he made available to us by allowing us to be forgiven because he took on our punishment, we can now extend forgiveness to others. We can have a just nation and 
Think about this. We're unjust from time to time, and yet we have such a mighty and an incredible Savior with such an incredible plan that we can still be made just in the middle of this because if we ask for forgiveness, acknowledge our sin, repent from it, and stand before God as, as, as a people that recognize that what God did for us, so we're, we're cleansed. This is a mighty God. And he continues, so that we might, excuse me, that, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Why would we ever be, have the descriptor, have the identifier of being in splendor? He could, he could present the church to himself in splendor? You and me in splendor? I know how sinful I am. Do you know how sinful you are? Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be, she being the church, might be holy, that is set apart, that is morally, I should say, demonstrating a moral rightness and without blemish. Amazing. And we can have that. We are called to, to make that a part of our culture here today. When you come here, do you realize that? It's supposed to be that? If it's not that, please let me know. If there's a dispute that goes undealt with, and actually, I don't mean that flippantly. Come to the pastors. What I mean by that, if you, certainly there's the Matthew 18, and we want to make sure that we deal with people one-on-one when they sin against us. Yes. But if you're stuck in a dispute, whether it's with a, a spouse or with somebody else in this, or with a child or what have you, in this setting... You come to, the, the, to the, the church officers, the ones that God has given. Jesus Christ himself gave the officers, particularly the elders, to judge in the role of discerning and giving wisdom in these cases. Come, let's make sure that this is a culture of moral rightness, that people come in here and go, dude, this is so different than what I experienced out there. I want to know more about your God. I'm going to end with this. May God convict and sustain us. And I'm talking about Redeemer Reformed Baptist Church. I have no idea how long anyone is here. Some people have to move. Some people choose to, to, to move on. Some people die and, and are taken unto the Lord, into his presence. May God convict and sustain us in our desire to be a just church, a just kingdom outpost. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father. We do know that only a just kingdom will stand. And we want to exemplify that. We want to demonstrate that. We've tasted it, and we want more of it. We've tasted and seen that you are good, and we want to share it with the rest of the world. We don't want to be like the church in Ephesus that stopped reaching out. In fact, we want to see more and learn more ways to reach out to the people in this community. And we don't want to be like the church at Laodicea. They corrupted within. And they, they no longer had that moral rightness as a culture. No, don't ever let us be that. Convict us. Use whoever is part of this family to, to point this out when we start to go astray. Make us a people where the, the people who are in our community can come and taste and see what we have tasted, seen, and experienced in our relationship with our mighty king, our just judge, our just God, our righteous king. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.